No? Yes? Oh, look, there we go. Sound guy kept me muted. What the heck? (laughs) Well, we are so excited that you guys are here this morning. We know why we're here. It's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And some of us got together on Friday here. We did Stations of the Cross, which it was the first time I'd ever done that, and it was awesome. It was just really heavy on Friday as we went through these stations, seeing what Jesus went through leading up to the cross. Now, if you noticed during that song, Karen was up here painting this painting, and I learned that even though it's charcoal, it's still a painting. Um, But Karen has some skill that I don't have. I like to draw cartoons and stuff, but if you guys are, I mean, just look at the painting. Look at the the sun coming through the clouds, the, uh, the hillside. We have a painting at, at the house that Karen did of horses, um, and it's, it's perfect. It's Callie's favorite thing in the whole house is these horses on the wall, and Karen is really, really skilled. Um, what's up, dude? Colin, get. Get down. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Is that your kid? No. <laughs> That's a Manser kid. Uh, yeah. Um, anybody feel something when that little jerk did that? <laughs> Obviously, that was planned, but look at the picture now. Beautiful, beautiful, but there's something off. Something is messed up with that painting now. Colin messed it up. That's, that's right. Colin messed it up because he was told to. <laughs> but similar to that painting and, and Karen's skill in creating this art, our earth was created by God as a masterpiece. God, through Jesus, Jesus was the word. God spoke through Jesus and created everything we see. The hills, the trees, the water, the birds, the fish in the water. And one at a time, he, he created each thing and he separated the land. He made it beautiful. Then he created men and, he, and women, and he put them in. And at the end of creation, God said, it is good. It is good. We were made to not die. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden, and the Bible says they were not ashamed. That's not just physical nakedness. They were open. Can you imagine being complete, completely open and vulnerable about who you are to other people and God and walking with God? All of that was messed up. Great creation, beautiful, was messed up when sin entered the world. When Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit and break God's rule, they sinned and immediately death entered. Just like God said it would, death entered. And now, sin, which leads to death, is the black mark on the beauty of creation. Just like this painting. It's beautiful, but there's something off. It's that black mark. Sin, which leads to death, is the mustard stain on the garment of creation. Have you ever thought about that? It's, it's off. It's not right. I first encountered death when I was nine years old. Well, animals before that, but when it really made a difference, I was nine years old. That was when my mom's dad, my grandpa died. And for me, you know, I was, I was a boy, but I loved grandpa. I don't know if you had a grandpa like this, but grandpa, I remember one Christmas when I got a present from grandpa and it was a sled and he helped me open it. I mean, he was more excited for me to get this sled than I was. And then I remember going out on the snowy day we lived in Colorado and tobogganing down a hill, and it was fun when Grandpa would get on the toboggan too. I remember going fishing at the pond. It was just me and Grandpa, 
And uh, I caught a fish and I'm reeling it in. I don't know how old I was. I wasn't very big. And grandpa goes and he pulls the fish out and I went to push him in. And uh, I, I think I failed. But I remember he grabbed me, tipped me upside down, grabbed me up and dunked my head. But this was grandpa. I remember grandpa. I remember his smile, partly because of pictures and old videos, but I, I remember grandpa. And then I'm nine years old and grandpa's gone. Grandpa's dead. And I remember mom describing his last breath. And it was all kind of surreal until we were at the church for the funeral. And back then they did open casket, and I guess now sometimes. But I remember walking through, through the line and seeing grandpa and thinking, no, <laughs> it, it made no sense. It didn't connect in my mind as a nine-year-old going, That's, that looks kind of like grandpa, but it's not. I actually reached down I just, and touched his skin, and it was, it was off. And back then, this was the 80s, late 80s, back then in, in movies when you thought you were dreaming, you'd ask people to pinch you. I remember going down in the downstairs of the church with some of my friends going, this can't be real. Pinch me. You know, and, they were, and it just wasn't real. It was off. Have you had that experience with death where you go, this is wrong? There's just something not right about this. And that's true because we weren't made to die. Do you know that? We were not made to die. Adam and Eve did not have bodies like ours that were decaying. They were made to live forever. But sin entered, and now that black mark is death. And death is symbolic of a deeper problem, spiritual death. When they sinned, that black mark wasn't just physical death, it was spiritual death, separation from God, which happened then and there. They no longer walked in the garden with God. They couldn't. They ran and they put clothes on because they were ashamed. Everything changed. Look at our world right now. Look at the cause, or look at the results of sin and death. I mean, just what's happening in the last few weeks. North Korea trying to create bombs to threaten us. Gas being dropped to kill citizens. People are killed all over abortions. How many thousands of babies are killed? Every, I mean, look at the pain. Look in your own life, the pain of relationships broken that were your fault. <laughs> I have those that were my fault. Sin messes things up because there's this spiritual death that comes, separation from God. I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're gonna be in John. If you don't have a Bible, grab one. Um, there's a box in front of you or behind you or under you. Grab a Bible. We're going to be in John, which is page 994 if you're grabbing one of those Bibles laying around. Page 994. We're going to be in John 11. And we're going to see death is the scar on God's masterpiece of creation. And this death is unavoidable. Death is unavoidable. Well, maybe some of you it seems avoidable. You're getting up there in age. But you're not going to dodge death forever. And how hard do we try to dodge death, don't we? The creams we put on our skin to make it tight, the pills we take, the ex all this stuff, we want to extend life. But have you ever met anybody that's dodged death yet? Nobody. Nobody. Death is the scar on God's masterpiece of creation, and we can't get away from it. And we're going to be in John 11, because what we're celebrating today is Jesus rising from the dead. What we're celebrating today, and we know why we're here. We're here because God loved us too much to leave us in that condition. Jesus came and he died on the cross because sin was the problem that lead to, led to death. Sin that leads to death. Jesus dealt with sin. You and I were all guilty. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died on the cross 
two days ago, Friday. We know that date pretty accurate because it, it goes along with the Jewish Passover. Jesus died. He was crucified. The worst thing that has ever happened in all of humanity is God in flesh died. But today we celebrate he rose from the dead. That's the good news. Today is a celebration of life that Jesus rose from the grave victorious. He beat death. He beat sin. And now by faith, we can have life in him. That's why we're here to celebrate. But I think the best example, the best illustration that we're given in Scripture, in, in my opinion, one of the best, of what happens, of what Jesus did for us, to us, is Lazarus. Lazarus was a man who died. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. This is John chapter 11. And Jesus came and he rose him from the dead. Probably most of us know the story or you've heard of the movie, The Lazarus Effect. Um, that's nothing about this story, but it's about somebody coming back from the dead. We know Lazarus is raised from the dead, but this whole story points to what happened when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. What happens in a, an individual's life when they respond to that. And one of the biggest things for me as I've been studying this is we get to see the heart of God through this. We've been studying John here at Common Ground for a while, and one of the reasons Jesus came, it says in John 1, was to reveal the Father. Because Jesus is God in flesh. God says, you want to know what I'm like? Look at Jesus. That's exactly what I'm like. Jesus was God in flesh, sinless. And here we're going to see what does God feel about sin that leads to death. And I want to ask you, I'm going to pray, but I want to ask you this morning, let the Holy Spirit touch you. We've been praying as we led up to today. This is Easter. We're celebrating. What do we want most? Paul hit it when he said, what do we want most? We want to connect with God. We want to connect with God. And God wants to connect with us. And so whatever that looks like today, but I'm going to ask you right now, break down your barriers. If you came here this morning with sin that you're stuck on, if you came in because somebody made you come, a mom or dad or a husband or a wife or a family member, or you're just in town, if, I'm going to ask you right now, set those things aside Open yourself up to what God would do in you, for you, this morning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we get to celebrate this morning that you rose from the dead. There is so much significance in your resurrection. In your death, you took the penalty that we deserve for our sin, and we know it. We can pretend like we don't know it, but we know it. We know that our sin makes us guilty and deserving of condemnation. But Jesus, you took that. You didn't have to. You didn't deserve it, but you took it. Thank you so much. And you rose from the dead, and we thank you for your resurrection that you proved, you proved your victory over sin and death and that you could give life. Holy Spirit, I invite you right now to join us here, please. We want to glorify you as we look at your word and continue in worship. But this is about you. It's not about us. You came for us, you loved us, but all of this pointed to your glory. It's all about you, and it's not a little bit about me. It's not a little bit about us, it's all about you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So look with me in John 11. John 11, we're going to start in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who appoint, anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. 
It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. A couple things here. This is far into Jesus' ministry. Jesus was on earth doing his ministry for about three years. Here he's moving toward the cross. His time is almost up. They've seen him do many, many miracles. In John, we have seven signs, and we've seen these signs as he turned water into wine. As he healed sick, he took a blind man and he made him see, and he did all these things. It was amazing. And so they know what Jesus can do. Jesus' followers, they know what he can do. And so these two women, sisters, who Jesus loves, we've seen them several times in the book of John. We'll see them again. They love Jesus. Jesus loves them. Their brother Lazarus, it says here, Jesus loved Lazarus. This was a close friend of Jesus's, and he was sick. A sickness, obviously a serious sickness leading to death. Mary and Martha send for Jesus, thinking, if he gets here in time, We've seen him heal. He can heal him. So they send word to Jesus. And Jesus says, let's stay here for a little bit. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That doesn't make sense. His good friend is sick to the point of dying. And he's like, yeah, we'll go in two days. We'll wait here. That doesn't make sense. And we're going to see this throughout. People are confused all around Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're a little confused, welcome to the club. People around Jesus are often confused because as the Bible says, God's ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. And so he has a plan, and he knows what he's doing. He waits two days. It tells us, I think this is strategic how John writes this, Jesus loved them, and so he waited. He didn't go yet. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? So here's the situation. Jesus is with his disciples somewhere else. Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. Very close. Close enough. They didn't have cars back then, mopeds, any of that. But it's still close enough that they travel back and forth. And we see this throughout these stories that people come from Jerusalem. They see Lazarus. Later, Jesus is going to be having a dinner. We looked at this last week. Jesus is having a dinner there in Bethany. People in Jerusalem hear about it. They come down. So it's close. It's close. Two miles away. And so Jesus goes there. He, he wants to go back, and his disciples say, don't go, because back in that area, you remember last time you were there, and you said these things, uh, before Abraham was, I am. Basically, Jesus claimed to be God in front of these Jews. They picked up stones to stone. They were going to kill him right there, and he snuck out. It looked like kind of miraculously he snuck out. They said, why would you go back? They were just trying to kill you. I mean, like, they weren't just talking about it. They were getting ready to throw the stones until you just disappeared from sight. So why would you go back? They're going to kill you. And look how Jesus responds. This isn't the main point, but this is beautiful. Verse 9, Jesus answered, <clears throat> Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Here's what Jesus is saying. If we are walking in the light of God's will, it doesn't matter what we do. He said, yeah, they were trying to kill me. Absolutely, but it's God's will. He had already said that he's gonna be glorifying God and he's gonna be glorified. It's God's will that we go back. So if we are walking in the light of God's will, it doesn't matter what happens. 
That's okay. We won't stumble. It's when we're in the darkness doing things on our own that we stumble and fall. And we could probably take a raise of hands here. How many of you have done things your way and found it to not work out very well? Well, here, G- okay, Gunner. <laughs> um, but Jesus says, no, we're going to go back. And he doesn't promise, this is a big deal. He doesn't promise that he will not be killed while they go. He doesn't promise it's going to be comfortable. He just says, in God's will, we'll be doing it right. Let's go. And we'll see that over and over, that a true follower of Jesus, he doesn't promise things are going to be good, but he promises that as you go according to his will, things will work out the way they're supposed to. Because he's going. And here's the big point. Death is not sovereign. The disciples say they're trying to kill you. That was a big deal to them, death. Death is not sovereign. God is. Therefore, God's servant will walk in the light of God's will, resulting in God's glory. Look at that. God's servant will walk in the light of God's will, resulting in God's glory. Let me add this, no matter what it costs them. Jesus will die soon, very soon. He will die. Look at verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, look, they're so confused again. Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Look at this. There's not a lot of hope in Thomas and the other disciples, but they're going anyway. And Jesus tells them, he says, we're going to go. This isn't going to lead to death, but I go to awaken him. So he said this before, it's not going to lead to death, but now he says he's dead and I go to wake him up. They don't get it. They don't get it at all. They're very, very confused. But what they don't get is that a showdown is coming. Jesus has already done many miracles, but nothing like this. A showdown is coming. So as I was thinking about this passage and this, this message, I wanted to title it Jesus versus death. You know, and I was thinking about the pictures. It could be, you know, like the boxing pictures or now it's Ultimate Fighter, Jesus, and then death. But I couldn't think of a way to do it that wouldn't be blasphemous, <laughs> that wouldn't belittle what God did. But Jesus is going to a showdown with death. He's going to fight an opponent that's never lost. You know, back in the 80s, Mike Tyson was the big thing. Nobody can beat Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's punch out on intent. You know, it was all about Mike Tyson. Jesus here is this little guy going up against Mike Tyson. Death who has never lost, never lost, and he's moving forward. Now, I want you to notice something else in these verses. Verse 15, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. That's why he waited two days. He knew he was going to die, and he waited for him to die, so that you may believe. What did Jesus say earlier? This is not to result in death, but to the glory of God. How is God most glorified? Through belief. Jesus does all this so people will believe because that true, genuine belief brings God glory. And that's why we're here. Just so you know, we're not here for ourselves. We're here to glorify God. And oddly enough, glorifying God is best for us. But he's going so that they may believe, so that God may be glorified. Verse 17. (coughs) Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. This is important. Verse 17, it says he's been dead four days. This is why Jesus waited. Four days, not one day. So if you do the math, when the, the sisters sent uh, the servant to go tell Jesus, Lazarus probably died while he was on the trip. So, and Jesus knew this. Jesus, as, as God in flesh, he knew. So when the servant got there and said, hey, Lazarus is sick, Jesus is like, no, he's actually dead. But uh, we're going to wait here two days. Why four days? There was a Jewish belief that the soul of a dead person would hang around the body for three days. This sounds crazy. But that's what they believed, that for three days, the, the soul would hang around, and so they, maybe they could be revived in the first three days. But after the fourth day, that's when decomposition starts to set in. Um, and once decomposition starts to set in, you don't want that to be resurrected. So really, their, their thinking was, after three days, the soul then goes to where it's going to go, and the body's dead. Not just mostly dead, all dead. And so Jesus intentionally waited four days so that everybody there was hopeless. The Jewish mind here would have thought, hopeless. He's all dead. If Jesus was going to save him, he could have done it if he came earlier, but not now, because he's all dead. That's why four days. Verse 19, uh, verse 20. Now Jesus is coming, but he's just on the outskirts. He's not in town yet. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Uh, just to remember Martha, Martha's the servant. Martha's the one that when they have a dinner, she's serving. Mary is the one <clears throat> that's always at Jesus' feet. Uh, there was the interaction between Mar Mary and Martha, <clears throat> sisters, where Martha's serving. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha comes in and says, tell my sister to get up and help me. And he says, she's actually chosen the better thing. So Martha is this type A personality, get it done. She hears Jesus, she runs. She's going to get there. She comes to Jesus, and here's what she says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Look at that faith. She knew, she had seen him heal sick. She knew he could do it. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha gets a bad rap, but she shows faith here. She has no hope. We know this as you watch it. She has no hope that he's going to rise from the dead. We know that because we've read the story. She doesn't have hope of that, but she still has her faith in Jesus. Jesus didn't do what she wanted. She wanted her brother to live. She wanted Jesus to come heal him before he died. That didn't happen. But how often do people, Jesus didn't do what I want, so I'm not going to follow him. I think Jesus should do this in my life, but when he had his, I'm done with him. I lost this relationship. Now I've lost my faith in Jesus. Whatever it is, these circumstances happen and people blame God and walk away. Martha, a true follower of Jesus, doesn't do that. She's not happy about it, but her faith remains in Jesus. Beautiful picture. And he says this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha was expressing common Jewish thought that there would be a resurrection in the last day. And so her faith remained. Her brother was dead, but she knew he was alive spiritually and that he would live for, with God forever because of his faith. She, she, she knew he will rise again. This is the same as pretty much any religion, most religions, most people, they believe that there is life after death. Most people 
And the Bible says we're actually going to start a series in two weeks, uh, Is God Real? And we're going to look at some of this, how God has hidden eternity in every heart. Although we try and ignore it, every one of us knows that there's something more. Everyone knows there is eternity. Everybody knows there is a God. The debate is what's that God like? The debate is, okay, there is eternal life. How do we get there? And what's the most common answer? And we might take a, you know, I'm not going to do it, but we might take a vote in this room. How do you get to heaven? If there is one, people will say, if there is one, do more good than bad, a scale. That's how most people answer this question. As long as my good outweighs my bad, I'll get to go to heaven. The Bible teaches the wages of sin is death. One sin, here's the scale. If you've sinned one time, clunk, you can do all the good you want, and it will never outweigh that. Every good thing you do is a feather <laughs> versus a chunk of gold on the other side. One sin. And so the question is, how? How do we, there is eternal life. I'm going to tell you that right now. There is eternal life. You know it, and I know it. How do we get there? We may debate that. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible says there's one way. And here's what Jesus says. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says the same thing, kind of, in two different ways. It's a common way of getting an important point across. You say it one way, then you turn it around, and you say it again. Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. This is an I am statement. There's seven I am statements in the book of John. This is one of those. I am, that is God's personal name that God gave to Moses in the Old Testament. When Mo God sent Moses, you know the story. He sent Moses to go uh, to Egypt to free the nation of Israel. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? When they ask, who sent me, who should I say? He says, I am. Tell them I am sent you. That was God's personal name, Yahweh. And here Jesus uses that phrase, I am. Very intentionally referring to himself being equal with the Father. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The only way, if you're here and you think maybe Jesus is one way to heaven, no, he is the only way. If you think there's many roads to the top of the mountain, no, there's only one way to salvation. And Jesus said, I'm it. Every religion, this is amazing, every religion pretty much honors Jesus in some way. But they all deny his deity, at least his unique deity. Some will say he's a God among other gods, but but. Only true biblical Christianity will say, no, Jesus is the one and only living God, equal with the Father, yet submitted to the Father. There's the Trinity stuff that I don't fully understand, and, and if you do, you can explain it to me later. But Jesus is fully man, fully God, the only God, the only God. Every other religion will tell you Jesus was a good man or a prophet even, but does a good man claim to be God if he's not? <laughs> If a prophet speaking for God claims to be God, but he's not, that's not a good prophet. There's only one religion, true biblical Christianity, that says Jesus is the only way. Jesus is God. It says he is the resurrection and the life. Look at these verses with me again, 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus recognizes the fact that we all live in these bodies that are going closer and closer to death every day. 
And he says, that's inevitable. You're going to die. But although you die, if you believe in Jesus, you will live. That's what he says. It's that simple. Christianity isn't a list of rules that you follow to be right with God. It's all based on Jesus. Belief. He says, believe and you will live. And then he says this, verse 26, and everyone who lives, that means right now, here now, we're alive physically, and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what he asked. Do you believe this? Meaning you can live here and now in this body, and if you believe in Jesus, you will never die. Not physically, he is talking spiritually. Jesus is very intentionally combining physical death and spiritual death as the picture they were intended to be from the very beginning. Physical death is simply representative of spiritual death. Spiritual death, which we are born into. We were all born dead, if you didn't know that. We were all stillborn. We were all born without spiritual life because of the sin of our parents. So if you're here, point at mom and dad, their fault. You're born into sin. But then we can point you know, all the way back to Adam and Eve. We were born into sin, born without life, but he gives life now. So if you, maybe like I have a lot in my life, think, okay, we come by faith to Jesus, we believe in him, and then we do our best to be good, um, and church is boring, and we do all this stuff until someday we go to heaven, and that's the big celebration. That's not what he's saying. He's saying eternal life starts now. You start to experience the life he intended for you now, and you don't die. You just continue into eternity. I remember doing a funeral for, for somebody who should not have died. And I remember the picture of, of him going on through life, but he knew Jesus. And so he hit death and boom, he just skidded into heaven going, woohoo, here I am. That's, that's what he means. Spiritually, we just continue on living because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Dead, dead. We need to focus on that, dead separated from God forever. We are intentionally supposed to, here in this story, compare ourselves to Lazarus. Lazarus is very, very dead. What can Lazarus do about being dead? Nothing. <laughs> it's not like Lazarus is there in the tomb going, this stinks. I wish I wasn't dead. He's dead. When we are born and we get to know this world and sin, and we, we're dead. We can't even recognize God. We're dead. We're separated from him. But Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. The resurrection. We all know what that word means. That's what we're celebrating today. Jesus rose from the dead. This is not just spiritual. I want you to understand this. I spoke to somebody recently who thought, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead spiritually. His spirit rose. No, we're talking bodily. The Jews, the Christian, we all agree bodily. There will be a bodily resurrection. We think the body is bad, but it's not. The body right now is indwelt with sin, and that's bad. But the body, there's a, there's a line of thinking that the body is what's bad, and so we just need to separate ourselves from the body and continue on in spirit. No, we're going to be resurrected bodily. This is a beautiful picture. The hope of Scripture, Old and New Testament, is that believers will live forever in a body. The object of our belief and faith is Jesus a body. This is huge for me because when I was a kid, here's what I pictured heaven, an eternal church service spiritually on a cloud or something. And I was like, eh, what's hell like? Because <laughs> that sounds really boring. I'm, I'm just, I'm being, I'm being honest with what I was, you know, I didn't actually think what's hell like, but, but I did think I'd rather stay here because I get this. I have a, I like playing 
softball. I like playing, I like sports, you know. I like wrestling with the kid. I get this. I like flavors. I like smells, right? We are going to exist forever in a body, except what's going to happen is he's going to remove this whole sin part. That part that keeps messing things up, that part's going to be gone. We're going to be back into perfect relationship. We're going to be in a body. New heaven and new earth. That's the picture. Not just spiritual. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So that's the resurrection and the life. Now, we've talked about this if you've been with us. If not, I encourage you to go listen to some of the podcasts in John. But life, this is not the word bios. There's, there's two words in Greek that refer to life. Bios, biology, we get that. Physical life, frogs have that. Cats have that. Eh. Um, and then there's, that's whether they should or not, that's another question. But then there's another word, zoe. Zoe. And that's referring to life but it's a full life. In in scripture, it's meant life in connection with God, but real, full life, Zoe. So here's an example. Here's a thought. In the evenings, um, I always get tired early, and Callie and Brendan like to hang out, and they love to watch, um, what's that show? The Voice. (laughs) So I'm sitting there with them, and I'm alive physically. I don't want to be, but I'm alive, but I'm like, Oh, is it over? And so when they're like, oh, there's not another one to watch. Yes, now we'll watch something else. But, you know, or I'll get my own thing. But it's awful. It's just awful. It's awful. I mean, at least go to American Idol where Simon gets to bash the people that are. That was fun. Um, But that's awful. So that's not Zoe. (laughs) That's not the life that Jesus is talking about. Zoe is, you know, Roy, back there in the sound booth, was talking the other day. Um, and we were talking, I said, I'm so ready for summer. He's like, I'm not. Because he's got a pass to heavenly. And so this winter, all this snow, he's getting to experience the life. The life. Yesterday, yesterday afternoon, finally done doing all the things we got to do. We went outside and it was sunny enough that we got to sit down and turn on some rock and roll. And then Elise jumped up on this and starts dancing around. And so I got up and danced with her. And Callie said, she didn't, she sat and she's like, this is the life. You know, we pulled out a volleyball and play. I mean, this is the life. That's what he's talking about. Full life, relationship life, experiencing the flavors of this world, the smells that, and better yet, a perfect relationship with God. That's what he's talking about. He is the resurrection and the life. Listen, eternity is not an eternal boring church service. I hope this isn't too boring, but that's not eternity. Life is exciting. And if you enter into a true relationship with Jesus here, it's exciting. It does, life doesn't just get, it's not prosperity gospel. That's not what Jesus taught. We don't get healthy, wealthy, and wise. We get wise as we walk according to the word. But life gets harder. But it's an adventure worth taking. But that's what he's talking about. He is the resurrection and the life. Romans 8, 10, and 11 says this. This is Paul writing. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. By the way, righteousness, that's Jesus' righteousness. He lived a perfect life. So when we, by faith, accept what he did on the cross, he takes our sinfulness away, he places his perfection on us. God looks at us as perfect. Do you know that? That's what he's talking about. The spirit is life. That's our spirit. His spirit in us is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
That means eternal life, yes. Spiritual new body, yes. That means now all those things that mess us up because of sin, we can actually walk in a way that glorifies God. We can actually make decisions that don't destroy our lives. We can actually have relationships that rock because of Jesus and this new life that he gives us. This sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like it should be that we make up for our sin by doing a bunch of stuff? That makes sense. I get that. I get, okay, I've sinned. Now go do this, this, and this, and you'll be forgiven. You're good. That makes sense to me. It makes sense to me to, to whip my back for the, you know, there's, there's those branches, to whip myself for my sin. That makes sense. I get it. I pay for it. This doesn't make sense. That Jesus freely gives bodily resurrection and life freely, that doesn't make sense. So I ask, prove it. Prove it. You say this is true, prove it. And he's going to, but first, look back at Martha in verse 27. Because he explained that he is the resurrection and life. And then he says, do you believe this? Here is the confession of the saint. If you want to know what belief looks like, look at verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, Lord, meaning ruler, one in charge, means surrendered life to Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. That is the confession of the saint. Can you say this? Can you say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I believe you are the Son of God who came into the world, who died and rose again for me, and you are Lord of my life. That is the confession of the saint. That is the person that has life. That is the person who God gives his Holy Spirit to dwell in you. That is the confession of the saint. But then we go on. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, she says the same thing as her sister does, but she's now at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She believed in Jesus, but she didn't believe that after four days, somebody could be raised from the dead. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I need to point this out. Mary didn't get it. Martha didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it. But all of them followed with faith anyway. The disciples followed Jesus, willing to die with him. Mary and Martha, they knew he could have done it before, but he didn't do it, but yet they still placed their faith in him. Don't attempt to understand before you submit to Jesus. I want you to get that. You don't have to understand everything before you follow Jesus. That's just pride to think you can understand God. I've been following Jesus since I was a young boy, and there is so much I don't understand. The more and more I learn, the more and more God gets so much bigger, and I just don't understand. So don't think you need to get God in a box that you understand before you submit. You submit, I heard an amen, I like that. <laughs> amen, yes. You submit, then the light comes on, and you'll start to understand more and more. So don't attempt to understand before you submit. 
You think you've got it bad? Their brother was dead. Their brother was dead, but they still showed faith. But now, I want to look at Jesus, because I told you that Jesus reveals the Father. Does God care about our circumstance down here? Does God care about the pain you're going through? Does God care about death, sin that leads to death? Jesus reveals the Father. Watch his heart as he goes through this. This is beautiful. In verse 33, it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He was deeply moved. If you want a literal translation of that, he snorted like a horse. He snorted like a horse. That's what that word actually means. So he's moved. He's not like, oh, this is too bad. He's mad. This deeply moved is anger. I would use a stronger word, but there's kids in here. He's mad. Like a horse getting ready. This isn't right. And, and the next one, he, he is deeply troubled. He's moved and troubled. He looks at this situation. They're all weeping. Lazarus is dead. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This makes me mad. This isn't right. He's mad and he's troubled. And he knows what he's going to do about it, but still he's affected by looking at the effects of sin and death on people. He's ticked. He's ticked. And then what happens? Verse 34, and he, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Just picture this. He knows what he's doing. He's moving toward this battle with death. And he's moved by it and he's getting mad. And he's like, let's do this. He's moving towards death. They said, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. This is different. This is a silent sorrow. This is a sob, a silent sob. He is angry, then he weeps. He's deeply saddened with silent tears about the effects of sin and death on humanity, those he loves. This is a little bit of a side note, but men, it's masculine to be emotional. <laughs> Jesus was the manliest man ever, and he gets ticked, and then he cries when faced with the results of sin. God is deeply moved our God is deeply affected by the personal pain and sorrow we feel because of sin and death. The Bible says that he desires all to come to repentance and to receive the forgiveness. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus desires none to be lost, but for all to come to repentance. He is not okay with sin and death. So let's look what happens. After he weeps and he's troubled, the Jews, verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Again, they don't get it. Four days, too long, he's all dead. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, pragmatic as she is, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Listen, this is the point. This is the point, the glory of God. This is why we were made, the glory of God. This is why he let Lazarus die, the glory of God. You would see the glory of God. So they obey, verse 41. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, 
but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He prays aloud, not because God needs it, but for those listening. He wants them to believe because their belief leads to God glorified. And so he says it. I, really, the transaction between him and God was already done. He didn't have to say it. He did it for the benefit of us. Everything he has done is for the benefit of us because it points to God's glory. 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, <clears throat> Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus shouts with authority. This was not a battle. This was a slaughter. Jesus worked over death. Lazarus, come out. I've heard it said that he said Lazarus because if he just said come out, everybody in the tomb would come out. So he, he honed in. <clears throat> right now, just Lazarus. The rest of you, later, if you believe. Right now, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out bound. The way they did it, he was wrapped up like this. So you think he came strolling out like, what's up? He came hop. He, picture it. He came hop. Nobody went in and got him. Lazarus come out. He hops out. And, he, and they say, oh, go unbind him. So they go and they unwrap him. And there he is, blood flowing, flesh alive, no decay, alive. Jesus proved physically he could raise somebody all the way dead so that we could understand that he can raise the spiritually dead to life. If you're here and you think you're too far gone, Lazarus was too far gone. You're not. God can raise the dead, even you, even me. Jesus proves he is the resurrection and the life by doing what only God can do, beating death by raising Lazarus to life. Jesus took the weight of our sin on the cross. We celebrated that on Friday. We know Jesus proved that he can bring the dead to life. Not long later, Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time. Jesus went in and he himself became our payment, our propitiation for our sins so that we all could experience this life, this resurrection in him, in him. Listen, if you think this story is one where Jesus comes, where God comes because we messed it up and he's surprised, he's like, what are we going to do now? Do you think it was an accident that this boy up here came and made a mark? We planned that. <laughs> and Karen is right now doing a great job turning that into something beautiful. God knew you were going to sin. God's not put off by your sin. God's not surprised by it. The person next to you, they got sins you don't know about. We've all got sins others don't know about, and God is not put off by that. God knew when he created this beautiful creation, he said, it is good. He knew what we were going to do. He knew it, and he had a plan from the very start. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross from before creation, meaning that was his plan forever. He knew what you were going to do. He knew what I was going to do, and he planned what he was going to do in response. And he knows, <clears throat> he knows the day that you were going to choose to, by faith, accept him. He knows. He's planned it from the beginning. He's not caught off guard. Now listen, if you're a Christian, I want you to understand this too. You didn't do anything to save yourself. Jesus did it all. Now our life that we live, he does all that too. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself, loved us and gave himself up for us by faith. Listen, I've been praying all this week 
And I've been praying this morning that the Holy Spirit would be here, that this, if nothing else, we get to glorify Jesus for what he did. This is amazing. He rose Lazarus from the dead. He rose himself from the dead so that he could raise you and me from the dead. I'm alive, are you? I'm alive. I'm not perfect. (laughs) Far from it, but I'm alive. Real life. Many in this room are alive. If you're in here and you're not alive, today, Jesus wants to save you by faith. We are going to... uh, we're going to celebrate life. We're going to have a baptism in a few minutes. The water up here is nice and warm. There's been a heater in it since yesterday. Baptism in the church is the way we celebrate new life. Sorry, for you it was cold. <laughs> but we're going to celebrate new life. When somebody decides, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died on the cross and he rose for me, and I want him to be Lord of my life, the Bible says that person is born again. Born again, a new life. And so the way that the Bible has given us, the way Jesus gave us to celebrate that is baptism. Somebody is laid down into the water, symbolic of Jesus being laid into the grave. We say you die to self and you raise to walk in newness of life. We're going to celebrate that. But we're going to sing a song first, a song to worship and a song to give you an opportunity that if you have not professed faith in Jesus as Lord, you can do it now. There's going to be Alex and, and... Callie, you're going to be in that prayer room. If you today have felt the Holy Spirit grabbing you in a way you've never felt before, give in. Surrender. Put your hands up and say, I don't fully get it, but I surrender. Go there. They will pray. If you want to get baptized today, we can do that. We actually have some sweats for you. <laughs> we have a t- you can get baptized today. If you have never been baptized and you've already placed faith in Jesus, or if you want to do it for the first time, we're going to celebrate life together. So let's sing the song. I encourage you to respond in whatever way God calls you to respond.